Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 182. Today's guest is a guy who's got some big league time under his belt, and I was fortunate enough to work with him during his college years as well. Um, Really been cool to see him grow and mature, not just as an athlete, but understanding how to pitch at the big league level. Um, He's also a pitcher for the Colorado Rockies, so he goes into some great detail on the complexities of pitching at at altitude and the adjustments he's had to make. Also speak to to, uh, some of the, the stranger injuries that he's had. Um, he had a skull fracture this year on a comebacker and talks about that rehab process. So just a guy who's developed a lot of perspective in a really short amount of time and someone who's got a, a great big league trajectory. So it's cool to see the work that he puts in and you know just how much time and thought he, he really exercises to try to improve his craft. So we're in for a good one. This episode is brought to you by AG1, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it can be difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can often wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where AG1 can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. That's why I use it daily, as do several of my family members, and we recommend it to a lot of our top athletes. One scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet to support energy, focus, digestion, and recovery. And this can all happen for less than $3 per day and without taking multiple products. While most nutritional supplements come to market and stay stagnant, AG1 continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing over 50 improvements in the last decade alone. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best tasting nutrition habit on the planet. Whether you're keto, Paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it'll work for you, and it contains less than one gram of sugar per serving. They put 75 ingredients to the rigorous NSF certification test to come up with a safe formula that's trusted by some of the world's top athletes, including many of our own at Cressy Sports Performance. Right now, AG1 is giving our listeners a special offer of 10 free travel packets with their first purchase. Just head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy and claim this special offer. These travel packets are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health while you're traveling for games, training, or simply on the go. They can be great counterbalance to the less than ideal on the road food options that are out there for a lot of our traveling baseball players. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance of getting nutrient diversity, head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy to get 10 free travel packets with your first purchase. Again, that's drink ag1.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. You won't regret it. Today's guest is a right-handed pitcher who grew up in Ohio and was named Gatorade Baseball Player of the Year in 2015 as a senior. He was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays in the 25th round of the MLB draft, but opted to attend Ohio State instead. After three years at Ohio State, including an all-star summer in the Cape Cod Baseball League, he was selected in the fourth round of the 2018 MLB draft by the Colorado Rockies.
He did not pitch in 2020 because of the COVID pandemic and began the 2021 season in high A. By September, he had been promoted to the big leagues where he made two starts. And in 2022, he established himself as a regular in the Rockies rotation, making 19 starts and logging 97 innings in the big leagues. To date, he's made 31 MLB starts for 147 innings pitched. Please welcome to the show, Ryan Feltner. Ryan, thanks for carving out some time and joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, this is exciting. This is uh, this is probably long overdue too. We've we've known each other since your college days, so had a good like track record of getting to know you a little bit. So hopefully that that leads to some more poignant questions that I can ask. Um, and I think maybe a good place to start is to to speak to like where things started out. Like you're an Ohio guy. Um, I've actually worked with a surprising number of Ohio guys over the years, and you always get like that blue collar guy that isn't afraid of putting in work. A lot of multi-sport athletes, you know, grizzly veterans of dealing with crappy weather in the winter. Talking about your your maybe your developmental path as a high school pitcher. Were you multi-sport? Was it baseball only? How did it play out? Yeah, well, we're familiar with the weight room um, mm-hmm. because I think you know, obviously, we can't play baseball year-round up there. So I think uh, the hardworking side of it that you see in the weight room is we're just familiar with it. That's kind of what we have to do because we can't play all the time. Um, but I think it was a good thing for me. Like I, I wasn't. You know, when I first started uh, coming to train with you, I I wasn't the strongest, but um, I had some strength base just from, you know, being able to take that time off and actually focus on strength instead of skill stuff. And there's pros and cons to it, um, but it you know you make do with what you got, and uh, there's plenty of facilities now that that have the means to get it done. Absolutely. Did you, uh, what, what is the high school season in, in Ohio look like? I know I'm, I'm familiar with Massachusetts where it's like the season gets going the third Monday in March and you always spend like the first two weeks shoveling snow off the field and throwing off turf mounds indoors. Like how did your, your like yearly calendar play out in terms of schedule? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, I remember multiple times in high school, just shoveling ice off the tarp, you know, mm-hmm. so we would, we would get the tarp on to make sure that the field was dry obviously. And, but, then you have the issue of like, okay, how do we get the tarp off? Because there's ice and snow and water on top. And, um, you know, those are fun memories just because you're just, you're with your friends, you strap on your boots and you literally just try to get the field ready to play on it. Um, definitely makes you appreciate it a little bit more, but, um, yeah, the weather component of it, I think has actually helped me a little bit in pro ball. I mean, we don't play, you know, beginning of the season, um, in Denver, especially like it, it can get a little gnarly. So um, I'm used to not feeling my pitching hand, you know? And so I, I think, I think that's helped me in a way. How many guys, you know, that you've come across to have played in like those climates in pro ball are just completely, you know, fish out of water when it rolls around. Like I, I know I've talked to some guys who've been in Cleveland or Boston or New York, and it's, it's definitely a different ball game if you've lived your entire life in Florida or Texas. Yeah, it is different. Uh, I was born in Florida and I, I kind of worked my way North um, as I grew up, but, um, you know, it, it is tough, uh, for some of those guys to, to really like get adjusted to the cold. I mean, it is different. Mm-hmm. You're never going to feel comfortable, but I think, uh, it can be a pitcher's advantage if you, uh, if you use it properly, the hitters don't want to be there, you know, and, and get an inside fastball or something like that. So, um, you know, it, it is very different. What about um, high school sport participation? Were you baseball only? Were you involved in other stuff? How, how did it all play out? Yeah, I was I was baseball only in, in high school. Um, before that, it was football, basketball, baseball. 
I think the biggest deciding factor for me was, you know, I went to Walsh Jesuit, which is uh, a baseball school. Um, And so Coach Kazmar was great. And I I remember a few talks with him freshman year and and trying to just decide, you know, which way do I want this to go? And, and, um, you know, obviously there's a way that you can have fun playing basketball and football. And I think, you know, we're on the same page on that. Like you want to encourage athleticism and, uh, but I, I felt like the lowest hanging fruit for me at that point was strength. Um, and I knew that I wanted to play at the next level and the levels after that. So I put all my eggs in one basket, missed out on the fun, uh, basketball, and, you know, probably not football. I, I wasn't great at football. I didn't love getting hit. So, but basketball probably missed out on that experience, but uh, you know, I think, um, I'm happy with the, t- the decision I made on that. I mean, obviously it worked out well. You were, uh, you know, it was good enough to be state player of the year as a senior. You were drafted and, um, you know, turned it down before you you went to Ohio State. Um, you obviously saw value in going to college. So I'm curious, like, what was, how would you scout yourself circa, you know, 2015 when you were a senior in high school? Like, were you, were you raw? Was it polished? And it'll lead to a, a follow-up question that I have uh, in light of somebody I talked to about you today. So go, go ahead with the first answer. Okay. Um, yeah, I think... Uh... You know, I think after every year, I'm frustrated with how I was the year before, which to me is a good thing. Just that's telling me that I'm growing. Um, so when I look all the way back to 2015 uh, in that area, you know, it's I, I was a way different pitcher. Um, still always had like the power mindset. Um, but the pitch mix wasn't really there. Like I didn't really have a great breaking ball. So it was mainly fastball change up. And I would spin a breaking ball every now and then. And, um, you know, I think the word that I always heard tossed around by scouts uh, to me in high school was upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just they felt like I had a lot of a lot of room to grow and a lot of room to get better. Um, so I, I definitely wasn't a finished product in high school or really anywhere close to it. Um, had some talent, but, um, you know, definitely had a lot of things to learn as well. I think um people at the youngest ages put undue pressure on themselves. Like I talk about Tyler Beatty as a first rounder, like, you know, Tyler would, would dominate the state of Massachusetts, you know, with how talented he was a senior in high school, but you know, we'd see highs and lows. It'd be 94 to 96 one day and then 89, 91, another, particularly when you get like the, I guess the fluctuations and weather conditions and all that you're, you know, maybe thrown on a terrible mound when you're on the road, something you're unfamiliar with, you know, like you leg out a triple in the first inning when you're when you're pitching and then you have to go out and try to shove after that. Did you see a lot of that that kind of inconsistency in your performance in high school that leveled off as you, as you got further and further along to higher levels? Yeah, I think the I think the performance for me in high school was pretty consistent as far as the results would go, but I think as far as my stuff and the process and the routines um you know, I I don't think that stuff was as locked in as it is now. Um didn't have as much knowledge and and just didn't know my body as well as I do now. So I think all of that stuff wasn't, wasn't very dialed in. It it was, you know, I remember a few times after bad games, I would go be, you know, a little head case in the weight room and just put a bunch of weight on the squat rack and do that. And, but then the next week I wouldn't do that. You know, I I would lift on a different day or so the routine, I I really didn't have one in high school. Um, Just was kind of relying on my talent and, uh, you know, kind of quickly learned uh, once I got to pro ball that these things need to be a little bit more dialed in. Absolutely. Um, so I, I was talking to Tyler Kinley this morning. I told him that you were okay. coming on the podcast. And the yeah. first 
first thing Kinley said was that guy can do anything he wants with a baseball, probably more than anybody else in our clubhouse. Like you have ability to manipulate the baseball, move up, down, in, out, all that stuff. And, you know, I, I was, I'm always curious when I talk to guys about this, like I remember talking to Adam Ottavino and, you know, he would talk about like trying to, you know, flip breaking balls into buckets in his basement. Same with Soroka. He was always messing around. Did you have just kind of like that, uh, you know, just kind of that itch to always be doing something with a baseball when you're younger? Um, obviously you just said you didn't feel like you spun it well in high school. Was that something that came much later? Uh, it was more of like fastball changeup mix for me early on. And I, you know, I do feel like that is the case for me now, uh, but it, it, it didn't change overnight. It was something where I, I honestly feel till the second half post-injury last year, um, everything before that, my, my arsenal was evolving. So I had, I had done a lot of different things in the past and I, I was slightly familiar with, you know, every part of pitching and, and different, you know, I, I was a sinker guy at one point I was throwing four seams. I, you know, I'm not enough of a supinator to really throw a sinker, but I don't don't also square it up. So um, little things like that I had had me try different things along the way. Um, so I think that's the reason he probably said that. I just yeah. have I have a field to do multiple different things uh, now. You're, but you're, you're curious enough to support it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It definitely hasn't always been that way. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Um, all right. So. How did you wind up at Ohio State? Because I know, um, you know, in general, I feel like Midwest guys, you know, like kind of the Louisvilles, the Ohio States, like the Kent States, a lot of those guys do stay close to home. But was there ever a draw for you to go away, especially being originally from Florida? Did you want to go to warm weather or was it just like a slam dunk to stay closer to home? Um, you know, everybody always says, oh, that like that was a dream to go to Ohio State, you know, because you, you're from Ohio and all this. And, you know, I'm kind of from all over, but I, I did spend a lot of time growing up in Ohio. Um, and I loved Ohio State. I committed pretty early um, on in the process. I I didn't really know what I was doing back then in, in terms of that, but I felt like the most important thing to me was I wanted to go somewhere where I could play right away. Love I didn't that. want to go and, and have that gap year or um, redshirt year or whatever it is. And uh, I wanted to keep playing. I felt like I was on a good a good role um, going into freshman year of college. So just wanted to be on the field and commit early somewhere where I trusted the coaching staff. And I, you know, it was close enough to home where if I wanted to go home, it's a two hour drive, but if not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still a good distance away. So, um, and a good school. So kind of all those things factored in. I think, um, if I did it again, I probably would have done it the same way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say there was that itch to go South as well. Uh, just didn't wait long enough for it to happen. I didn't have really any of those offers at the time that I committed. I, I think that's such an important message. And I mean, I remember Corey Kluber talking about picking Stetson for the exact same reason. Like there's a track record of big leaguers who who took big jumps in development in those early years of college because they were able to actually go and get the the reps that it took. And And you were kind of a good example in that like – uh, you had a huge velocity jump from freshman to sophomore year of college. I, I was looking it up. Your average basketball velocity as a freshman was 90.8 in uh, in 68 innings. And then in your sophomore year was 94.8 over 62 innings. And it wasn't like it was just a starter to reliever shift. Like you legitimately added four miles per hour in a year. So I'm, I'm curious, like what changed? You know, you'd been exposed to the weight room. Was it putting some weight and some strength on? Was it ironing out the delivery? What What was the biggest adjustment over that year? Yeah, I would say most of that is um, 
just getting on a consistent routine because I, you know, I think in high school, I didn't have that. So getting with the strength coaches at Ohio state and having them push me to eat, you know, and have the, the emphasis on nutrition. That was something that, um, I just didn't have that knowledge in, in high school. I just thought you go in the weight room, you lift and you get big and, and strong and that's it. Um, but I, I first got introduced to like the nutrition aspect of it at Ohio state. Um, and they did a great job with, with educating us on that. So I think that's really what did it. Um, you know, I got a little stronger and cleaned up some things mechanically, but I would say mostly that was just being a late bloomer and putting on that, that first like real batch of, of strength. Did you go through a correction like that first year living on your own, just get, getting adjusted, all that stuff? Cause like, we see a lot of guys that, you know, get to campus and you think they're going to take off and they drop 15 pounds and they come home looking, you know, terrible at Thanksgiving break. Was there any like, uh, you know, kind of freshman adjustment? Um, I would say there was as, as far as like balancing time, um, as far as strength and, and baseball stuff, it was pretty seamless. Uh, they, they did a good job with us, like letting us, um, you know, obviously they provide the facilities and, and all of the information that we need to, to kind of be the best athletes that we can. So everything on that aspect was great. Um, I was kind of just a sponge my first year trying to soak everything up and, and, um, yeah, I felt like uh, I was good on all that stuff. It, the biggest adjustment was definitely off the field, managing time and, and actually learning how to uh, schedule and and things like that. Yeah, That's a big part of it. Um, you know, so yeah. you you obviously were drafted by the Rockies, and I think you know the the first thing that automatically goes through people's you know mind when they hear about pitching for the Rockies is altitude. And, you know, the nature of their affiliates, I think outside of Hartford, pretty much every affiliate is at some kind of altitude for the most part, right? Um, so I'm, I'm curious, like pitching your entire career at altitude, what are some of the things that, I guess, you know, throwing at that elevation, you know, that the casual baseball fan might not actually appreciate, like, how has it shaped your development? Um, it's made me mentally stronger. You know, I think <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of things that, that happen at altitude that don't happen elsewhere. And, you know, um, I, I choose to not, not turn my, my head to it. You know, I, I choose to kind of embrace it and look at it as a challenge and, uh, you know, the other teams dealing with it as well. So, um, that's where you have to dig into kind of like the, the grindiness and, you know, I, I mean, there's a better word than that. That's such a baseball word, but you know what I mean? So it's, um, uh, it's a fun, it's a fun challenge. Uh, but then also, you know, there's the side that I think maybe not everybody knows, you know, the ball flies, um, and then also bloopers land in cause the outfield's bigger at, at cores and a lot of our affiliates. So, but the, the one thing that I think people don't realize is the, you get around 85% of your pitch movement. So the, the pitches will, will get dampened a little bit in, in their movement profiles. Um, so not as much swing and miss, and you might have to battle through some innings a little bit more. But again, that, that's the challenge of it. And, and the Rockies do a good job of um, obviously having our facilities and, and our uh, affiliates at spots that is going to prepare you for that. Do you um, do you feel like there's like a physical toll from pitching an altitude? I've heard dramatically different things from different people. You know, certainly there's a history of like, you know, endurance athletes like, um, you know, live high, train low, like get exposed to it, adjust. But um, 
you know, certainly there are players that come there for a stint. You, you all see like the Monday night football game at Mile High Stadium and guys are taking oxygen on the sideline after they, you know, pick off a, you know, run a, a interception back. But like, did you ever feel that that was the case your first time there? Or was it something that you had habituated to over the course of like a minor league career? Um, I think that's tough because I, I think the closest place to it is Albuquerque. And then uh, obviously I, I skipped that the first time I got there. Um, so the first time I got there in 21, it, it did kind of hit me like, like a bus. I didn't know what to expect. Um, was waking up in the middle of the night. So sleep, you, you know, you don't get as much oxygen up there. So you, your sleep takes a little bit of a hit and then lifting, uh, we kind of taper back on the volume, uh, when we're at home. So if there's a week where I have two starts at home, I'm going to taper back on the volume that week. And that's just what we have to do to get through it. But, um, there's things you need to do to adjust and, and be adaptable in that scenario. And it's, uh, it creates some different scenarios that obviously other teams don't deal with. And, um, you know, I think other teams are freaked out when they come to play us a little bit, just in terms of getting their guys hurt and whatever. So hydration is the biggest thing, but, um, you know, sleep, sleep takes a hit and, uh, lifting takes a little bit of a hit as well. Right on. You, you talked about how, you know, 85% of movement is the case, but you also alluded earlier to kind of how the pitch mix, is, mix has changed over the course of time. So I'm curious, did outs do you drive to some of those decisions or is it stuff that just happened more organically and it just so happened you wound up pitching in, you know, elevation? Yeah, some of it, it was kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, I think uh, when I got called up, I was a four-seam, pretty much only four-seam guy. And then, um, you know, the, the off-speed stuff that I throw as well. Um, it hasn't affected my off-speed usage. I would say, you know, at home, I would probably err this year to throw more off-speed than I, than I do on the road. That's probably the only difference, but, um, you know, I was leaning sinker heavy at home at one point and kind of lost my identity a little bit in terms of, you know, I, I, I'm, I think I'm a power pitcher. I, I like to get strikeouts, I like to get swing and misses. Um, so the sinker for me was almost a step in the passive direction. Like, let me just get some contact here. Um, and that's just not really how my brain's working on the mound. Yeah. So that didn't really resonate with me. We gave it a shot and it was working at the time. Cause I think I started doing that in 22 and my four seam wasn't in a good spot. I, it was not efficient. So because of that inefficiency, the sinker was better. But then last year, I, I started to get back to the normal me where I'm squaring up the ball and more efficient. And uh, so now I'm back to throwing four seamers. So I do think altitude affected it a little bit. Um, but the best way for me to handle it now is just pitch the same there as I, as I pitch anywhere else. I think that makes perfect sense to pitch, pitch your strengths as opposed to just trying to cater to somebody else's weaknesses or, or the, the environment or whatever it is. It's, it's what got you to the big leagues. Um, and it got yeah. you there quickly. Like, I, I think that's the stuff people forget about is, you know, you were, you were drafted, you know, and uh, you didn't have a 2020 season. So I'm, the first question I'm curious about is like, what did 2020 look like for you? Cause we've had, you know, Peter was lucky on it. Like there's just a, a, a case study of like guys who kind of went off the grid in 2020 and trained their butts off and turned themselves into big leaders. So I'm curious, like what it looked like for you, because you were, you were pretty fresh out of the draft and, and obviously took a massive step forward in 2021. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've had multiple step setbacks in my career. Um, and I think that was a setback for everybody. So there was, that was a decision-making time for people, you know, either I'm going to 
put my head down and figure out how I can get better during this time because it was a free gap year. Um, or, you know, you can just relax and figure out when you're going to play baseball again. So I really dove into things. My brother was part of that too. You know, just we were at home during COVID and um, trying to figure out, you know, how can I be like these top guys? How can I be a big leaguer? Um, and, you know, it came down to some mechanical things that year. Um, just tweaked a few things mechanically and, and worked on my mental game as well. Cause I just, you know, obviously a lot of time at home, um, we had a little garage set up a little weight room in the garage. So, um, that part was fun. You know, I think everybody can relate with that over COVID, but, um, yeah, no, it was fun. It was a workshop time. And I think those, uh, those are the times where you can really get better. I think that the impressive thing about guys that surged forward is, you know, there was a time when, there was still hope that there was going to be a minor league season. They really didn't call it off until considerably into it. And like, I think there were a lot of guys that literally sat around for three or four months, like waiting for it to get canceled and other people just put their head down and started working. Um, right. So it's cool to see the success stories. And like 2021, you started out in high A and you, you ultimately ended the year in the big leagues. That's, that's a massive, you know, collection of jumps. So I'm, I'm curious, like, was there one jump? And I know you, you pretty much skip old, skip triple A as a whole, but of those, where did you notice the biggest difference? Where did it change? Um, and, and, you know, what, what also prepared you to make so many jumps so quickly? We interrupt this podcast with a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by AG1. It's an NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement that features 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. I use this product daily myself and a ton of our athletes do as well. Head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer of 10 free travel packets with your first purchase. AG1 gives you peace of mind that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's drinkag1.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you'll get that special offer. I think what prepared me was, was the COVID season. Um, I got 20 innings and in instructs that year and, and really found my footing and um, started to get more of an identity of, of who I am in pro ball. Um, I think the biggest jump would be double A to the big leagues. Um, I think that, you know, I faced the Braves at home, um, which was a tremendous opportunity. And, and obviously I loved the fact that I was debuting. You know, that was the main thought. And I, I just wanted to enjoy that day. Um, you know, I, I wish I would have done better. The results weren't great, but it's, you know, I just enjoyed the day with my family and, and that was awesome. And then after that, it was, uh, it was like, okay, let's, let's have some success and stay here. But, um, from high A to double A, I would say the biggest difference I noticed was, uh, teams really started working with their hitters on their approach instead of, um, you know, you didn't see so many raw talent swings. It was more so like guys are looking for things. And, uh, so that kind of got me thinking that way as well in terms of like, okay, I need to, I need to work the way that he's working to kind of uh, combat that. So cat and mouse game didn't start until about double A and then, but, but I would say the, the bigger jump was double A to the big leagues. Yeah. And in the big leagues, they, they make you pay for the mistakes way more than they do in double A. They, they might have an approach yeah. in double A, but they can't always execute on exactly that. Big league hitters are just a different breed. Yeah. Yeah. The, the singles, um, go from singles to doubles and home runs in the big leagues. So yeah. Goes a long way. Um yeah. so shifting gears, obviously 2023 was a was an interesting season for you. Um you had a skull fracture on the mound this year. 
which is not something we've traditionally seen a ton of in baseball. And it, there are actually more pitcher comeback injuries this year than I think there've been in a long time. So it's, it's obviously a big conversation point in baseball, but I'm more curious specific to your circumstances. Like what are some of the big complexities of that rehab? You know, like we hear about sprained ankles and elbow injuries and things like that, which, which tend to be very cut and dry when you, when you're talking about head trauma and concussions and things like that, it, it's very different. Like maybe describe the the whole experience and, um, what you went through on the, on the rehab side of things so that folks can actually appreciate it a little bit better. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, very different, uh, injury, you know, it's one that I never thought that I would have and one that pitchers probably fear. And, um, once I started the rehab process, um, it, it was kind of starting from square one as far as just being a human, you know, I had to, you know, I didn't have to like relearn certain things, but I had to give my brain time to allow me to do certain things. So making breakfast was a no go for the first like three weeks. You know, I had to kind of lay low, stay off my feet. I had some vertigo issues, um, different cognitive things that I was working through. So that first probably uh, six weeks was just only focused on getting back to myself as a person and we knew it would come in time um, and I just had to give it the time and, and lay low. So once we got that out of the way, uh, the exciting stuff could start happening again. And by exciting, I mean like arm care, um, you know, I mean like little tiny baseball things and cycling on the bike. Um, the Rockies, you know, I, I, I really appreciate how they handled it because they really did what was in my best interest. Whenever the team was traveling and, and they couldn't have the, uh, necessary training staff there for me. They would send me here to Arizona to uh, Banner Concussion Center, um, work with some specialists there. And that really got me back on track uh, as far as the vestibular issues. And and then, um, you know, once we got through all of that stuff and I got to a spot where I could start playing catch, um, it looked like, okay, maybe I could come back this year. Um, that really wasn't a question at, or it was a big question at the beginning. Uh, you know, we thought this isn't going to happen this year, um, but I progressed well uh, with good care and got to got to throw before I thought I would get to throw. And then we get on like a, a nice, easy throwing program. And, and then I'm like, OK, I, I kind of want to accelerate this because it's looking like I could come back for these last two weeks. And I ended up doing that. So I think um, getting back on the mound at the end of the year was big for me. Uh, going into this spring training and, and this season, um, just knowing that I had done it and yep. I could get back out there and feel like myself. And again, similar to COVID gave me a, uh, a big time to reevaluate things. And, um, you know, not that I'm searching to change things, but there's always things that you can get better at. Um, and some of those things were delivery and that there were, there were smaller tweaks this time. I was more, more certain about who I am as a pitcher. So tweak some small things and again, took the downtime to focus on the mental game and um, get back out on the mound in the same season. You know, one of the things that was kind of interesting to me, and I, I never spoke to you about it when you, when you came out to train some this off season, I was just really interested in how good your baseline work capacity and strength already was. Um, like it was, it, it felt like a very normal off season in spite of obviously what was a very significant injury. And it, it got me thinking a little bit more just about this concept of like, you know, for lack of a better term, I'll dumb it down and say muscle memory. Like if you've been strong in the past, you're, you're reasonably neurally efficient. A lot of those 
those systems are really wired to to come back quickly. And I, I think it just speaks to like, I mean, it's a testament to you for putting that work in high school, throughout college, obviously being <laughs> really consistent on the front end, just because I'm not sure that someone would have bounced back as quickly if they didn't have such a significant training age and experience. Like if you had taken a a brand new high school draft pick and had that happen and, you know, he hadn't really taken his training seriously all those years, I could see it have been like a, a much more prolonged rehab. Did you ever like actually think about that in the, in the process of going through it? Yeah, I was aware of that. You know, I think for me, I had a little bit of a training base, you know, um, going into the rehab just as far as it was, it was in season. And, um, but then when I came back, I started to work back into it very slowly. So I was a little bit worried that it wasn't really going to be there. Um, but then things picked up and it came back a lot quicker than I thought. So it was kind of cool to see how my body would respond to that. Um, you know, I hadn't really been in a scenario like that, but it did come back very quickly. Did you talk to any other guys that had been through it? Like I know Ryan Yarbrough was another one that I think happened this past year. There were there were a few notable issues, but had you connected with any of those guys just to work through like the timelines and their experiences? Uh, Chris Bassett reached out to me. Yeah. Um, so we just had a quick like text conversation and it's awesome. Um, yeah. So just to have that support from a guy like him was was big and, and getting me through the process. And you know he came back from it uh, stronger than ever. So. Uh, to see that, you know, hopefully I can be an example for people like that as well. But um, having that support from a guy like that was really cool. Right on. So obviously you're you're doing well. You're in the clear. It's been a productive offseason. I'm curious, like what what takes you to the next level? What are the goals for 2024 and what are you working on day in and day out? You know, I, I was happy with the version of myself that I came back as uh, post-injury last year. So I think for me now, it's uh, it's just about consistency. Um, consistency in my routines and consistency out on the mound. So I think um, I'm, you know, I've looked into all the numbers, the, the, the analytics, and um, I feel like the version of me now is the best version of myself. So just staying true to that, um, it's a pretty basic answer, but it's easy to get away from who you are in season if things don't go well and start to tinker with things. And, uh, you know, I've been there and, and through that process, um, I've found out the version of myself that I like the most on the mound. So I'm um, just going to stick with that the whole year. And if it's, if it's not working, obviously you make tiny tweaks, but, but none of it will be to like who I am as a pitcher. So I'm just going to stay consistent in that. I like that. It's really easy to get caught up in the the shiny object syndrome, you know, or something new every day. But, you know, I think baseball is better now than ever at like separating out, like, what's a bad outcome versus what's a bad process or, you know, just a, a amount of happenstance. And I, I, you probably have to do that more at Coors Field than anywhere else. Right. Yeah. You have to have a, yeah. Yeah. You have to filter out the results uh, a little bit. You know, I would say that's the biggest thing. It, it just staying true to who you are, not, not pitching to the park that you're at or, or anything like that is, is kind of key for me this year. Absolutely. All right. We always uh, wrap up with a lightning round. You've had some really yep. good answers so far. So I'm, I'm I'm actually particularly curious about my second question. But first one, what advice would you give to a teenage Ryan Feltner? Um, <clears throat> this is a this is a tough question. Um, I think it would be to stay in the moment. You know, I, I spent a lot of time looking forward to where I am now. Um, 
which, you know, is part of the process of that, that got me here, just having the, the desire to put in the work to do it. Um, I don't know if that's the case for, you know, kind of all uh, big league guys, but it's just what I always wanted to do. And, and I was always looking forward um, instead of kind of being in the moment and, and just trusting that things will work out. Still enjoyed every bit of the process, um, but maybe just to be where your feet are a little bit more. I like that. Um, I know you're, uh, like I said, you're a very curious guy. You're you're a, a voracious reader. You're a podcast guy. You're all the above. What's one book that you think every baseball player should read? Um, Alan Jager has a book, uh, and it was the first time that I got introduced to meditation um, when I read this book. So I took some of the protocols that he had in there um, and applied it, and I felt like it it uh, opened me up to kind of a new world that that I could get better at. You know, it was always physical performance for me, and um, so I, I thought it was cool. Like, oh, here's this this other way that you can get better as well. So I started to tap into that a little bit because of that book. Do you do some form of meditation every day, or is it you know certain points in the the five day routine? How, how do you usually attack it? Yeah, I try to do some every day. I I, I try to wake up and. You know, even if it's five minutes, that's all I got. I, I find that that's better than nothing for me mm-hmm. um, and kind of just helps ease into my day. You know, I, I was in a little bit of a, a routine where I would kind of run through the first part of my day and mm-hmm. uh, be a little scatterbrained. So just taking a second to slow down and start your day on that note um, has helped me out. But there's a routine that I do. Um, part of it is just my bullpen. I'll visualize mm-hmm. the next lineup sometimes you know two or three guys from that lineup and throw to those hitters at the end of the bullpen but uh there's one that i do the night before i pitch and it's a similar thing just visualizing the first two or three guys and uh running through some at bats and and uh trying to see it that way i like it um what pitchers do you like to watch and and why do you like to watch them um i would say jv's one justin verlander uh he's been doing it for so long and He's an absolute machine and I've seen him in the gym. I've seen what he does in there. And, um, you know, he, it's clear he wants to be the best and I would argue that he is one of the best. So, um, he's fun to watch and there's other guys, you know, I, I like all the power righties, uh, Garrett Coles up there, you know, and I try to just take things from their game and, and see if it'll work for me. And, um, you know, if it's not something physical, maybe it's, maybe it's something about the way they go about their business, but, um, and also just for viewing pleasure, I, you know, I like, it's just fun and it's a pretty thing to watch when they're pitching. This is a big thing is people forget how important it is just to be a baseball fan, like just to, to watch the game, you know, inquisitively to see what you can pick up. Um, and I think, I, I think that's honestly lost on this generation of, of, of players. I think they watch snippets on social media, but they, they fail to fail to appreciate a lot of the game within the game. So I think that's a really good message. Um, all right, last but not least, you, you know, you played at a great high school program. You played at Ohio State. You played in the Cape. Obviously, you've been in professional baseball. You worked out in, you know, in various private sector, you know, facilities. When you look back on the coaches who are the most impactful, what do you think the qualities are that have allowed them to to help you the most or, or be the most influential in your development? Um, you know, I think for me, it's been – uh, the coaches that kind of allow me to fail, you know, I, I can be uh, hard headed at times and, and want to do it my way and then they'll allow me to fail and then we'll have a constructive conversation about it. Um, 
and then we'll come to you know a conclusion and uh sometimes it's my side sometimes it's their side and they don't care whose side it is they just they they want me to be the best version of me and you know i've been lucky enough to have multiple of those coaches along along the way so i would say that's the biggest thing um you know it's not always about for me who can teach me a new grip or who can you know uh, do whatever it is you know the new buzzwords or or whatever but it's uh it's more so just the outlook that they that they give you and the confidence that they can give you um in what you're doing like that's that's part of the reason i like uh your workouts and working out with you i know i'm working harder than most people uh when i'm doing your stuff and it, it just gives me the confidence um, to know that i'm prepared for the season every year and uh same thing with the pitching coach you know like if they can you know convey to you that hey you've done the work and your bullpen looked great and we're ready to go get it today uh you know that intrinsically but to have someone tell you that on the outside too is, is big i think that's an awesome comment like the, i i thought the failure part on the front end was like the coolest part of that it's like so many guys are they want to be protected from failure and you know you almost implied that it was like hey put me in a position to fail you know without consequences so that i can actually fail forward and learn from it like particularly the younger levels i think that's vitally important yeah it's hard to accept you know like i i i maybe didn't know that that's how it was unfolding at the time but looking mm-hmm. back i'm uh i'm glad that a lot of my learning unfolded that way um it's the best way to learn and i, I think that's a lot of how i got better i've had a lot of failures and um yeah that's that's a big part of it for me that's good stuff um, got a good social media presence. You're Ryan felt 26 on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it now. And, uh, our felt 26 on Instagram. So folks can check you out there. Um, Hey man, thanks for, for doing this. This was a lot of fun. I uh, learned some stuff about you that had never come up in our conversations. And then obviously touched on, I think some good points that, you know, we probably hit on over the years. So this was cool. I appreciate you. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for having me on. Best of luck this season. We'll be, uh, we'll be cheering you for you for sure. Thanks, Eric. Thanks so much for tuning in to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. We really appreciate you carving out some time in your schedule to listen, not just to this episode, but also to some of the episodes from our archives. If you enjoy what you heard, we'd love it if you'd share it with friends, colleagues, and teammates, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks again for your time.